really appreciate you guys and serving, practicing, blessing everybody. Good morning. I hope you guys are doing well. We're going to be all over the place today. I mean, all over the place. I mean, I was lost earlier, so hope you guys can keep up. I could barely keep up. Um, it's the new year, and I don't know about you guys, but I like New Year's resolutions. I'm a New Year's resolution kind of a guy. Some people don't like that. They're like, ah, what's the point? I can't, I can't you know, a week later, I just go back to my old ways. And yeah, that may be true. That may be true. It's probably true for me in a lot of areas. But I like stopping. I, I like the new year because I can stop. I can look at the old year. I can look back and say, Lord, what was going on? Where was my heart? Where's my, how's my relationship with you? Is that where I want it to be this coming year? And I kind of set some resolutions. I set some goals. I, I set some determinations. And so this year I was doing that. Um, I, was, I was reading... And one of my determinations was, you know what, I want to get back to like regular time, meeting with the Lord, early in, in the morning, just opening up the Word and spending some time in prayer. And, and so I started doing that. I started doing that early on. In fact, I was doing that and the house was, house was shaking. You guys' house shake over Christmas break a little bit? It was kind of raging outside. You guys have any raging going on outside, loss of sleep? Well, I live way up there on Soapstone, so I, I get the raging wind about a week and a half before you guys do, and then when it's calm here in Palmer, it's still raging up there for another week and a half, so I have lots of raging wind. Um, and so uh, Jason, asked me, Jason asked me to preach on the 8th, and so I was up early in the morning, and the house was raging, and I was in the Word. A lot of things were on my mind. And I was reading through a, a passage of Scripture in 1 Corinthians. Happens to be one of my favorite passages in 1 Corinthians. We're going through 1 Corinthians as a youth group, and it was just like I sat down there. I was in 1 Corinthians 15, and I'm like, yes, this is one of my favorite uh, chapters in all of Scripture. And, uh, and I was reading it, and I was thinking about New Year's resolutions, and I was reading this chapter, um, which I'm going to read a little bit of it with us here this morning. And, uh, and we'll get to 58. That's the last verse in the chapter. But Paul starts chapter 15, which is the famous resurrection chapter in Scripture. He starts with the gospel, one of the clearest explanations of the gospel that, that I've seen in Scripture. It is just crystal clear. Now, if you are not a person of faith, if you don't, you know, there's a lot of people that bring their friends and family. There could be guests here. You could be sitting here today, and you're not a Christian. And you're just curious about what the Bible is all about and who Jesus is all about. When Paul came, Paul, the Apostle Paul, came to Corinth to preach the gospel, this is the gospel he preached. And he was an amazing speaker. He, he was like, uh, he studied logic, he studied argument, he was, he was very, very, very persuasive, very good, very talented. But when he came to that church, he got rid of all of his talent and he gave them the simple, bare-bones gospel this is what a Christian believes right here. First uh, Corinthians chapter 15, he says, four, verse 3, For I delivered to you of the first importance what I also received. Christ died for our sins according, for scripture, according, according to Scripture. That he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to Scripture. That he appeared to Cephas and to the twelve, and after he appeared, and after that he appeared to more than five hundred brethren at one time, most of whom 
remain until now. Some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, that's the brother of Jesus, and then all to all the apostles. And last of all, he appeared as to one untimely born. He appeared to me also. That is the simple gospel. So if you're like, huh, what do Christians believe? That's what we believe, that Jesus is the Son of God, the Savior of the world, that Jesus died, He was buried, and He was raised three days later. He's, he's bringing back this church to, this, to their remembrance of the foundations of their faith. And then He goes on to correct some of their mis. Um, some of their misconceptions about the resurrection, that Jesus is coming back someday to, to make all things new. And those who are dead in Christ are going to rise. This is that verse where it says, in the, in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the, last trumpet, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead in Christ will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must put on the imperishable, and the mortal must put on immor- immortality. So there's going to be a day when Jesus is coming back and they, there will be a, a, the resurrection, and we will be forever with the Lord, those who know Him and love Him. So there's this hope coming. And then he continues on, and I'm reading this, and I'm getting all excited because, you know, of the gospel, and it's freezing cold outside, and the wind is raging, and all of this stuff, and you're just like looking at your last year, and you're like, man, you know, I could do, I could do life so much better. And then you're thinking, you know, someday Jesus is going to come back, and He's going to, He's going to, change the government, and he's going to change, he's going to fix all this, and he's going to fix all that, and life is it's going to be amazing. There's so much hope in that. Because of all this, because of the gospel of Jesus Christ, because of the fact that Jesus is coming again someday, he gives them a command in verse 58, and this command kind of like, it kind of hit me, and I was like, oh, I like that. I like 58. I think I want to make 58 my verse, my verse resolution for, for 2023, and this is what he says. He says, therefore, my beloved brethren, because of the gospel, because of the hope in Christ, he says, be steadfast, be immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. And so I'm sitting here thinking about this. I'm like, man, that sounds good. Like, Lord, what does it mean for me to be steadfast in my faith? What does it mean for me to be immovable in my faith? What does it mean to, for me, like in 2023, how can I be abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that my work in the Lord is not in vain if it's in the Lord? And so I'm thinking about this and thinking about 2023, and, and Jason's like, hey, can you preach? And it's like, three-point sermon right there, right there, steadfast, immovable, abounding. Actually, it's a four-point sermon. I'm ready to get to like, your labor is not in vain in the Lord. That's a really important point. So as I was thinking about this and kind of putting my thoughts down on paper, I was like, okay, how, how do I internalize this? How can I explain this? And so the first two points are really, really simple. We're going to spend most of the time on the last. What does it mean to abound in the work of the Lord? Well, like I said, the weather was raging. The wind was raging. Well, we've got a little airplane. A couple years ago, um, my boys came and said, hey, Dad, we, want, we don't want to go to college. We want to be pilots. And so I was like, all right, you, get it, you go in a third, and you go in a third, and I'll go in a third, and we'll get this little tiny plane. So we bought this little plane, and remember the big windstorm last year? That's like my first experience with owning a plane. It was down there during that windstorm. And we learned a lot, and we, had, we worked with a lot of sleepless nights trying to keep that plane alive. Um, and it did, and it survived. And so when this windstorm was coming... I was smart. I was like, ha, I'm going to go to Spinard Builders and I'm going to prepare for this windstorm while it's calm. And so I went to SBS and I got some thousand pound ratchet straps. I had a friend sew up 
some of these big webbing loops, and I went down to the airport, and I, I like, looped my struts and clevised those straps onto there, and I, like, ratchet-strapped this airplane down to those cement chain anchors at the airport. And, uh, and then the wind started blowing, and then it started howling, and now, then you couldn't even call the airport to see what the weather was like because everybody was calling the airport to see what the weather was like. So we get in the truck, and we drive down there, and we barely, this is Friday morning, we barely even get down there, and on the way, like, to check on our airplane, we're stopping to help this tie down this airplane. We're stopping to take the, the wing covers off this other plane. And we're, like, just, and I'm just kind of, like, looking to see, like, how is our little plane doing? We get over to our airplane, and it is just solid. It is just, like, it's just sitting there. It's, like, the full force of the wind. And I'm, like, is it even wiggling? Is it even budging? It was just steadfast anchored, secured. It wasn't going anywhere. It wasn't even budging. No wiggle, no wiggle, immovable. And I was like, wow, that's a great picture. That's a great picture that I need for like being a a steadfast, immovable person in the faith. Listen what uh, Paul says about being steadfast. Paul, who's writing to Timothy, a young pastor in 1 Timothy 1.9, he says, fight the good fight, keeping the faith and a good conscience, which some have rejected and suffered shipwreck. They've like abandoned their faith. They've, they've like cut the ties. They've left the foundation of the gospel. And then what happens is okay, you, ha- you, ent- you like shipwreck your life. And I can, think of, I can think of story after story after story of people that I know and I love and we know and we love that, are, that have like, they've just kind of like drifted. They've like cut the ties. They've left the faith. They stop coming to church. They stop associating with the saints. They stop reading the Bible. They stop praying. And they start getting, falling into temptation and getting into this and getting to that. And they're just like, it's wreckage. It's wreckage. I call my buddy. My buddy actually called me. He's in Wasilla. He's got a plane in Wasilla and a plane here in Palmer. And he's like, how's the plane? And it's like, your plane looks great. How's your, my plane looks great. And he's concerned because he's at the Wasilla airport and the airplane over there, the, it came loose from one of its ties. One of its wings whoosh, came loose. And you can just imagine 50, an hour, 50 mile an hour winds and w- only one wing is tied down. And that wing just went, whoosh, whoosh, that plane just spun, got twisted and mangled and wrecked. When you come unhinged from the foundation, you're not steadfast, it's wreckage. Uh, my buddy, he calls me up and he says, Andy, you should see it over here, it's crazy. Another airplane over there, the tail wheel came loose, the, the tail tied down. And so the wind is blowing and it's tied down, it's still tied down. But he said that airplane started doing this. It started, it started just porpoising, and it was just getting shaked back and forth because it wasn't secure, and it got so bad, and it was shaking so bad that the plane actually cracked and the tail broke. And Paul says, he says this um, in Ephesians, he says, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by the craftiness and deceitful, ske- uh, deceitful scheming. We're to be immovable on our mission and our vision. And I don't know about you guys, but for me, it's really, really easy for me to, you know, open up the news and get all caught up in this tizzy about some, some political thing. And just like be put in a bad mood and like, what, how could they be, you know, or some policy. Or for me to be like distracted about the main things of life by 
you know, this pursuit or money or stuff or adventure or stress or worry or broken this or broken that. And, and we, we kind of get like tossed back and forth by every trend. And we're, and we're moving all over the place as Christians. And we forget that, hey, actually, you know, I should be, I should be steadfast on the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I should be immovable in my mission and my vision. Yeah, uh, like to love the Lord your God with my, my God with all my heart, with my soul, with my strength, to go out to the world, to make disciples of all nations. That's why I'm here. I'm not here for this or for that or for the other thing. So Paul tells us not to be tossed back and forth by every wind of doctrine. Like that airplane that was, it was still anchored, but man, a lot of damage took place with that plane because it wasn't immovable. So for me, 2023, that's that's my heart. Like, I want to be anchored and steadfast. I don't want to be moved from the gospel of Jesus Christ. I don't know about you guys or where you're at, and some of you might actually not even heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, you know, for you, if you've, this is the first time you've actually heard the gospel of Jesus Christ, and you're like, hey, I believe that. I believe that. Then you should talk to God about that. You know, if you don't believe that, I, I still think you should talk to God about that. And be like, if you're God, if you're real, if this is true... Help me understand that. Help me, help me to see that because it's a, it's a big deal. I want to be the kind of person that is immovable and not easily swayed back and forth by every wind of doctrine, by every fancy trend. I want to be immovable on the great commission on the, and on the great commandment, keeping the main things the main thing. This last one, though, you know, abounding in the work of the Lord. That's kind of where my uh, airplane il- illustration dissolves a little bit. I was like... Okay, how is my airplane illustration? I get the first, the first two, but this last one, abounding in the work of the Lord, and I was like overthinking it. I really don't think we should be overthinking it. And I was like, Andy, stop overthinking it. Really, what is the point? What is the point of, being, of, of anchoring your airplane? What is the point of securing your plane so that it doesn't move around? You know, having a, well, it's so that you could use it, so that it doesn't get destroyed, so that it could, you can use it, so you can enjoy it. It could be useful. And I was thinking, maybe that's it. What is the point of me being steadfast on the gospel of Jesus Christ? What is, it, what is the point of me being unmoved from the great commandment and the great commission, keeping the main things the main things? Isn't it so that I could be useful? I could be grounded in the, in the gospel of Jesus Christ and be completely useless. And I don't want to do that. And I think that's Paul's exhortation here to this church is is be grounded, be immovable, and be useful, be useful, be available to be used by God for the Lord's work. And I think that was an interesting phrase, knowing, like, abounding in the work of the Lord. And I kind of got hung up there, and we're going to spend the rest of the sermon, like, unpacking that, and I'm just going to bring you along the journey that I went on, and we're like, what's the Lord's work? That seems vague. What is the Lord's work? That sounds like something a professional needs to be doing. Um, and that the Lord's work is like this big, high, lofty thing that people with masters and doctorates and divinity, and they do the Lord's work. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just going to come to church. I'm just going to come to church and let the pros do the Lord's work. I think that's what the attitude of the Corinthian church, that's what their attitude was. I'm going to go in there a little bit, uh, and we'll, we'll look at the, what does this mean. So, 
Well, first off, what does it mean to abound in the Lord's work? We get a kind of a clue um, right here. I'm going to stay in Corinthians for a little bit of what the Lord's work is in verse, chapter 3, verse 9, or we'll just look at chapter 3 for a little bit. We're going to be bouncing all over the place here. Chapter 3, verse 9, um, these, the, the church was, Paul's addressing an issue in the church. They were being very, very fleshly. They weren't understanding this, the, spiritual, the, the spiritual work that was taking place among them. And what was happening was the church was, they didn't see, they saw all of these hyper-spiritual people as uh, these are the ones doing the Lord's work. And so there were some factions, there were some schisms, there were some things happening in the church because they kept saying, well, you know, Paul discipled me. You know, I'm a disciple of Paul. And well, I'm a disciple of Paulus. Apollos was pouring into my life. And so, you know, I love Paulus's ministry. And so I'm a, I'm a product of an Apollos. Or I'm a product of Peter's ministry. And Peter was an amazing this. Well, but Apollos was an amazing that. Well, Paul was, and then the super spiritual people were like, well, I'm of Jesus. And he trumps all of you guys. And so people were getting, there were some misunderstandings of what, how God was working in that church and what the actual work was. He says, what then is Apollos in verse 5? And what is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, even as the Lord gave opportunity for each one of them. Paul, Apollos, Cephas, and, and many more. When you study the book of 1 Corinthians, you realize that Priscilla was there, Aquila was there, Timothy was there, Silas was there, Jesus was there. There's a bunch of people ministering to this church as God gave them opportunity, so they ministered. And then he goes on to say, I planted, Apollos watered, God caused the growth. So neither the one who plants or the one who waters is anything, but God causes the growth. Now he who plants and he who waters are one. They're accomplishing the same work. The one who plants is doing the same work as the one who waters. They're doing, they are one. They're doing the same work. Um, but each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are God's fellow workers. Aha. We are far God's fellow workers. Okay, the people that are doing the Lord's work. Okay, now I'm starting to get a clue here. Like, what does it mean to abound in the work, in the Lord's work? Paul is doing the Lord's work. He says, we are, we are uh, God's fellow workers. You are God's field. God's building. Okay, so the work that they're doing is a spiritual work in the field, in the building, in the lives of the saints there in Corinth. In fact, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 1, he says, uh, you, are you not my work in the Lord? He's talking about the church, the saints, you people you are my work in the Lord. As Paul draws grace from God and, and the Spirit of God works through Paul, the product is people are built up and encouraged and established in their faith. So they are Paul's work in the Lord. Paul, we know it from Acts chapter 18 that Paul stayed in Corinth for a year and a half teaching them the Word of God and growing them in their faith. Um, 
Paul also mentions that Barnabas was there working. He, in, in, first, in chapter 16, Timothy was there working. In chapter 16, Paul says, I hope I want to send Apollos there to work among you. Because you see, Timothy was, was uniquely wired by God in such a way that when Timothy ministered to the church, they were built up. When Apollos came and Apollos worked in a certain way, they, he, Apollos was uniquely wired by God so that when he was working, they were, he was building them up in a different aspect. So Paul was like, look at all these guys. They're coming and they're working. Uh, so the, and the idea is that they're, they're establishing them, grounding them in their faith, encouraging them in their faith, strengthening the faith of these people. And I, don't, I think this is true not just in 1 Corinthians, but I think this is true for the rest of the, uh, of the rest of the New Testament. Remember when Jesus says, upon this rock, he's talking about Peter, I will build my church. Jesus is going to build his church, and the, and the workers that are building his church are spirit-filled people, and he's sending workers out. He's sending workers out to draw grace from God, to build on the foundations of the, of the faith of people. So, in the book of Acts... There's this guy, Saul. You guys remember Saul, the, the persecutor of the first church? And Saul was responsible for the stoning of Stephen. Stephen was stoned. Uh, the church was really comfortable there in Jerusalem. It was growing by thousands. And God says, I want you to go not just in Jerusalem, but in Judea and in Samaria and to the rest of the world. But there's this church in Jerusalem. They're sitting there. They're comfortable. And, and God brings Saul into the picture. And Saul is like very hostile towards their faith, and it starts persecuting the church. And the church, you know, Stephen gets killed, and everybody's afraid for their lives, and so the church is, is dispersed throughout the whole area. And they're stressed, and they're worried, and they're afraid. And then they get word, kind of through the grapevine after some time, that Saul got converted to Christianity, that Saul met Jesus and became a Christian. So that was the word on the street. And so they're thinking, hmm, Saul met Jesus. And then they hear, well, not only is Saul preaching the gospel wherever he's going, he's also defending Christians and Christianity and the faith. He's defending the faith against the same people that are hostile, who he used to be on the same team. And so you see right here in the very beginning in Acts, well, in Acts chapter 9, what happened was after the church heard this, the church, this is in verse 31, so the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria, they enjoyed peace. Like all of a sudden, this peace settled on them. They had never met Paul. They just heard Paul became a Christian and he's defending the faith. And this peace settles on their heart and on the congregation. They enjoyed, the, and then being built up and going in the fear of the Lord and, and comforting and, and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, the church continued to increase. This is really cool. They had never met Paul, but they have heard through the grapevine that Paul came to faith in Jesus, and, the and it's just like the peace settled on the hearts. That affected the church. And then they were able to go, like continue in the fear of the Lord, that's persevering, and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, that's encouraging, and then the church began to increase. I like this because Paul didn't even know it was happening. Have you guys ever, well, the other day, I was driving up the road with a friend from Wasilla. He said, Andy, 
do you remember this time when I brought a whole bunch of people over to the yak and I said, hey, you know, and invited you over. And he wanted me to just come speak to this group of people. He's like a missionary that brings missionaries to Alaska. And they were at the yak. And he said, Andy, why don't you just come talk to these, these ministers? And so I came and I just like, I just shared the vision of the yak and to share, you know, here's what we're trying to do and here's what's happening and here's some good things that are going on. And then I said, see ya. And then I left. Well, I hadn't seen him for a while, and I, I had no idea what happened, but he was like, Andy, when you, like, after you left, you should just hear, like, you know, this guy was started talking with this guy, and, and, and people were, like, super encouraged, and, and the conversation's like, man, we could, can we do that in our town, and are our kids struggling with those kind of things? And, and I had no idea the effect of that conversation with those people, and he said it really built him up and spurred him on and encouraged him. Well, I had no idea. And Paul had no idea that his conversion was going to have such an effect on the church. We have no idea, you and I have no idea, that when we just show up at church on Sunday, people are blessed. They're blessed. When you walk in those doors and sit, somebody's, you might not even have a conversation with them. They're going to see you from across the room, and they're going to be like, oh, good, good. So-and-so still loves Jesus. They're still trusting in Jesus. They're still hoping in Jesus. And just you being here is going to encourage and bless people. When we take communion together once a month, and you take the, you take the juice and you take the cracker, you are making a public statement that you're still trusting Jesus and you're still hoping in Jesus. And being, you don't have to talk to anybody. You're just encouraging everybody and building people up in their faith. And that's what was going on with Paul, which is pretty cool. I like that. I got... Um, where am I at in my notes? My goodness. Oh, here we are. Okay. Acts chapter 11, 23. Acts chapter 11. What's going on here? Okay. Well, let's see. Is this? Oh, this is when they sent Barnabas. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Barnabas. You guys know what Barnabas' name means? Son of encouragement, isn't that what it means? He's, uh, he's, he is known for encouraging people. Well, the, this, uh, as the people were dispersed throughout the area, little people were going and they were preaching the gospel and, and they were in their, you know, testifying of Jesus Christ and witnessing Jesus Christ. And there was this place in Antioch, way over here. And uh, a group of people started preaching the gospel, not just to Jews, but to Greeks and to Gentiles also. And all of a sudden, tons and tons of people are getting saved and a church is born in Antioch. Well, all the church leaders are still in Jerusalem and they hear there's this big old a group of people over in Antioch that, are, that have come to faith in Christ. And so they say, hey, Barnabas, why don't you go over there? Go over there and check it out, see what's going on and report back to us. And so Barnabas goes over there. The news reached the ears of the church in Jerusalem. They sent Barnabas off to Antioch, and when he arrived, he witnessed the grace of God. He rejoiced and began to encourage them all with a resolute heart to remain true to the Lord. What was his ministry? Well, he was just encouraging them to remain true to the Lord. That's it. Go over there, and he reported that... uh, Their faith was legit, they were solid, and he was encouraging them to remain true to the Lord. This another instance in Acts chapter 15 um, is with Judas and Silas. Judas and Silas uh, go to, I think, the same area, Acts chapter 15, 31 and 32. Judas and Silas are going around. 
Um, at this time, Paul's like going around encouraging churches, um, strengthening churches, encouraging churches, strengthening churches. And uh, they get to this church in Antioch. They went down to Antioch. Having gathered the congregation together, they delivered this letter um, from, the, from the church in Jerusalem. When they had read it, they rejoiced because of its encouragement. Judas and Silas, also being prophets themselves, encouraged and strengthened the brothers with a lengthy message. Isn't that good? So they, Judas and Silas, like, had some ability. God had, God had given Judas and Silas a love for his word, uh, a, 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 a heart that's not afraid to stand before people and, and communicate the word of God to people. And when they opened up their mouth, they were able to communicate the word of God clearly so that the church was strengthened and encouraged, strengthened and encouraged. So as Paul is going around, um, Acts chapter 15, Paul and his companions were traveling around, strengthening the churches. In First Thessalonians, um, or in First Thessalonians, if you guys remember the story of the Thessalonian church, Paul, Paul was going around um, preaching the gospel in different churches, and he gets to Thessalonica. He preaches the gospel, and some people come to faith in Christ. But like right away, right away, just like a couple weeks, people came down, and, and they ran out the believers, ran out Paul, and, and there was a great persecution. And so Paul and his team left this tiny little baby church uh, up in Thessalonica, and they were like, oh no, what are they going to do? Are they going to survive? Like, we just preached the gospel. They just came to faith in Christ, and now there's mass persecution. And so Paul was really, really concerned. And if you go to First, Th- First Thessalonians chapter 3, it says, Paul was so concerned about it, he says, when we could endure it no longer, we thought it would be best to be left, left at uh, Athens alone, and we sent Timothy, our brother and God's fellow worker, That's what I'm looking for. What does it mean to do the work of the Lord? Paul sends Timothy, his fellow worker, to Thessalonica. Go find out how that church is doing, what they're doing. Report back to us. So he goes to Thessalonica. He finds the church. They're still there. They're doing good. Um, To strengthen and encourage you as to your faith. They put their faith in Jesus. A great persecution happened. Paul is concerned that they may have left their faith because of the persecution. Timothy goes and finds out they're still walking with the Lord. Later on, he says that he was highly encouraged because of their faith. But Timothy goes there, and he encourages them, and he strengthens them as to their faith. Now, it doesn't tell us what he did. Maybe he was Maybe he was building buildings. Maybe he was cooking food. Maybe he was a music guy. I don't know what he did. I'm guessing that he was excellent at, at, uh, at teaching and encouraging. But whatever we see here, he was strengthening them as to their faith. Last example, uh, Romans chapter 1. And this is, this is an important one. I'll pick that up later. Because this is actually the first time in the New Testament where we see this phrase, spiritual gifts. And you're gonna, we're going to connect all of this stuff together. But in Romans chapter 1, Paul hears that there's a, a group of believers in Rome. And he hasn't been to Rome yet. And he's excited to go to Rome. He longs to go to Rome and meet these people. He's only heard wonderful things about them. And he wants to meet them face to face. They've heard about him. He's heard about them. But they've never met. 
And so he's going to write them a letter before he goes over there. And in, verse, in chapter 11, uh, well, in verse 10, he says, Always in my prayers making requests, if perhaps now at least by the will of God I may succeed in coming to you, for I long to see you that I might impart some spiritual gift. Paul wants to go and he wants to, as he's drawing grace from God, Paul knows God has wired me in such a way that when I'm abiding by the Spirit of God and walking by the Spirit of God, I can encourage and build them up in their faith. He says, I want to come and I want to impart a spiritual gift. And then it gets kind of awkward in the, in the wording here. He says, for I long to see you that I might impart some spiritual gift to you that you may be established. That is, that I might be encouraged together with you while among you, each of us by each other's faith, both yours and mine. And what we see here is a really cool thing. When people are, are when spirit-filled people are, are drawing grace from God and ministering to each other, we build each other up in their faith. And Paul says, I have a spiritual gift. God has wired me in such a way to minister to you, but it's not about me. I actually want you to minister to me, my faith, blessing you and building you up in your faith, your faith, blessing me and building me up in my faith. And that kind of gives us a clue to what a spiritual gift is. There's a lot of confusions about this. Sometimes we think that a spiritual gift is just, God has given me this gift and it's, it's for me to edify me in my room by myself in my closet. And I don't see that anywhere in Scripture, actually. What we see is God given, God shines His light and love through you, and other people are blessed. And when other people are abiding in the life of Christ and the Spirit of God is manifest through them, we are blessed. Our gifts aren't for ourselves, are for our, they are for each other. Well, around the end of uh, Paul's time ministering in Corinth, oh, sorry, Paul is in Ephesus and he's writing this letter to the Corinthian church, um, there's a problem in this church. And the problem is the church has this high understanding of all of these spiritual leaders. You know, Timothy's doing the Lord's work. Apollos, oh, he's doing the Lord's work. Uh, Silas and Judas and Paul and Peter and James, they're, they're all doing the Lord's work. But us, not us, not us. And then they start fighting about who's better. And they, they have a misunderstanding of, of what all of these workers are trying to accomplish. And so Paul is explaining to them in 1 Corinthians 3, we are God's workers, all of these people that you guys are looking up to, these big, you know, the, the famous workers who are traveling around preaching and evangelizing and teaching and discipling. They are God's workers, that's true. You are God's field. You are God's building. We're servants through which uh, the Lord has given us opportunity to build. And to use this field metaphor, because the, the church was arguing which minister was better and which one they liked better, he says, You're, you guys are the field and we're the workers. And who can say, like, what's more important? You know, the person who tills the field, are they more important than the person that comes by and fertilizes the field? Is the fertilizer guy more important than the guy who's actually uh, seeding the field? And what about the guy who's watering? And what about the guy who's weeding? And what about the guy who's pruning? And what about the guy who's harvesting? Like, who can say, well, I'm of the harvester, and the other person say, well, I'm of the, I'm of the tiller. And there's a, a fight going on about who's the better minister. It's, and then he uses the building metaphor here. You are God's building. 
And now you guys, he's like, you guys are God's building, but you're arguing, like, of all the workers building the building, you guys are arguing that the excavator is, is better than the framer, who's better than the plumber, who's better than the electrician. They are all working for the same thing. God has just given them different abilities and talents and uh, desires to work in such a way for the good and for the common good of the, of the church. And so he's trying to educate them. He's like, no, 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 no. We are all on the same team. We've been given different abilities to encourage, establish, build up, edify the church. Turn to 1 Corinthians 12. He takes it a step further, I think, and he says, listen, you guys are thinking that these are super, super spiritual people. They're awesome, wonderful people. You guys are wonderful people too. The church like they are, Paul is an ordinary person. Timothy is an ordinary person. Silas is an ordinary person in a congregation. Who, what qualifies these people to be doing the work of the Lord? What qualifies them? And I think Paul addresses that here. He says, now concerning these spiritual gifts, because they're thinking, oh, they're spiritually gifted. I'm not spiritually gifted. Now, concerning spiritually gifts, I don't want you to be unaware. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray by mute idols, however you were led. Listen, time for you guys to be walking in darkness and ignorance is done, okay? Done. You've come to the knowledge of the truth. I'm talking about spiritual gifts. Therefore, I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus is accursed. And... And no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. If you've confessed with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart God has raised him from the dead, you are saved. You are saved. And there's a born-again process we can get into that. There's an indwelling of the Holy Spirit in Romans chapter 1 we can get into that. And what it means to be saved and indwelled and filled with the Holy Spirit. But he says, Paul's like making it really simple. What qualifies a person? is that they have the Spirit of God. How do I know that I have the Spirit of God? Are you steadfast on the gospel? Are you steadfast on the gospel? Do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, the Savior of the world? That you're a sinner and Jesus is a great Savior and He died and He rose again so you could be forgiven and have peace with God and hope of life. And so he's like, listen, you don't have to be some like super high up qualified master degree in divinity type of guy. You just need the Spirit of God in you. And if you're a church, you have the Spirit of God in you. And now he's going to talk about the spiritual gifts. And I'm not going into it. This is not going to be a spiritual gift lesson. I'm going to stop at verse 7. Um, that's for another time. But he says, now there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are a variety of ministries, but the same Lord. There are a variety of effects, and the same God works all things in all people. What is he talking about here? I was thinking about this. There's a variety of gifts. Well, in my kitchen, you guys have kitchens, so you know this too, so just think about your kitchen. In my kitchen, I've got a variety of stuff and all sorts of drawers and cabinets, right? Um, I've got a variety, I've got knives. There's like the knife category. Do you guys have lots of knives? I've got a block of knives and we got like drawers. In the kitchen, you open up a drawer and you're like, hello, there's just knives everywhere. So we've got, there's like, imagine there's a knife category in your kitchen. Imagine there's like, open up your um, mug cupboard. 
that's a scary one, right? Because we have all of the travel mugs that we've collected over the years and all of the, our favorite mugs and, and all of your glasses. There's the, like, and then you've got a container. You've got a container category with containers everywhere. You've got a stirring category with stirrers everywhere. Okay, so let's just take the knife category. The knife category. We've got knives. We've got butter knives. We've got steak knives which are good for cutting steak, and butter knives are not good for cutting steaks. They're great for spreading stuff, right? We've got paring knives. You've got bread knives. And the bread knife is great for cutting bread, and the steak, bread, steak knife is great for cutting steaks. And you've got the big knives, and you've got cleavers. You've got all sorts of cutting things, right? And that's category. Yeah, it's a knife, but there's a variety of different ministries, and there's a variety of different effects. Take the stirrers, okay? I can stir with a spoon. I can stir with a fork. Those are good, those are good for everything. Spoons and forks are good for everything. But there's a tool specifically designed for stirring, the whisk. That's great. The whisk can, I mean, you can whisk some stuff up, but I can, I can scramble some eggs with a fork. I usually do. But the whisk is good for certain things. We've got one of those blenders. We've got an electric blender. Those are good. Do you have a KitchenAid? Okay, now we're getting more like grandiose in our plans. And now, now we, like I work at a campus, so you've got this gigantic, gigantic Hobart. You ever seen those things going? And they're mixing like a giant batch of dough and cinnamon rolls for hundreds of people. Like you can't do that with a whisk. You just can't do it. They're both stirring, but they're stirring and their effects are different. The effects So you have a variety of different gifts, a variety of different ministries, a variety of different effects. How does this translate to us spiritually? Well, he says, listen, when God has wired each one of you, it's like we're all different jewels, and when the the light of the Holy Spirit hits you, it's going to manifest itself maybe in a different color, maybe in a different way, who knows what. So here he are, he's wired human beings all human beings, even non-Christian human beings, with amazing gifts and abilities and talents. When you just, you know, you're scrolling through, you know, social media, there's gifted, talented people in the world, incredibly gifted, talented people in the world. There's gifted, talented people in our church. But it becomes a spiritual gift when you're drawing grace from God and His Spirit manifests Himself through you in such a way your own unique way that people are built up and established and encouraged and edified in their faith. So what does this look like in a church? Well, there's a lot of category, like teaching. The teaching ministry is a category ministry, right? You can't, I'm a teacher. Well, what does that mean? Well, you could teach college. You could teach high school, middle school. You could teach preschool. You could teach, what, there's so, like I teach middle schoolers and high schoolers, which is kind of a unique thing. Uh, I don't do well with tiny little people. Some people do great with tiny little people. But preaching is part of teaching. God has wired, think about this, God has wired some people to just love studying and reading books and learning and writing and organizing their thoughts and getting up in front of people, like who likes to do that, getting up in front of people to like communicate these thoughts. And when God uses those particular abilities to speak his word of truth, people are built up and blessed. Other people are gifted in doing that, maybe in a small group. 
Some people are really great preachers, and they only preach to their wife or to their husband or to their kids. But hey, man, you can, you, you're driving down the road, and you get some preaching in, and your family's the audience, and that's the only time you preach. So I think everybody can preach just a little bit, some in their car, uh, some in their home. Some, anyway, so preaching is a cat, evangelizing. Can you believe this? Some people God has wired to like to have sensitive topics or, or controversial conversations with strangers. You guys like doing that? Like you're just going to go up to a stranger and you're going to be like, you want to have a conversation with them and you want that, you want that conversation to go to things of faith. And you want that conversation, you want to talk about religion with a stranger so that you can share Jesus with them. That is a gifted person that is not afraid of conflict and not afraid of strangers. And we say, thank you, God, that you've wired some people to preach and some people to evangelize, some people to teach little kids, some people to teach adults, some people to teach, like, so that teaching is a category where God has wired people to do that. Serving is another one of those categories. Hosting, cooking, cleaning, fixing, building, media, music, singing. When you, were you guys blessed that there's people up here that can sing? And you're just sitting here and you're like, thank you, Jesus, for these people that can sing and minister to me. And you're just like thankful for them. And I'm thankful for people that are like practice and they're playing music. And in their playing, people are blessed. I'm thankful that when something breaks at our church, we can call somebody. God has, <coughs> excuse me, gifted them to come over and fix certain things. Hosting. You know, we host stuff at our church. This happens. Listen, this happens. If there's an event going on at our church, this is what happens. Oh, they should call so-and-so. Why should they call so-and-so? Because whenever so-and-so sets up a room, they make it in such a comfortable place that people enjoy being there. Like some people have this gift of like making a room a comfortable place. If you're having a potluck, I hope so-and-so brings their fruit salad. If you're doing pies, I hope so-and-so brings it. Because whenever that person brings a pie, I'm encouraged. And whenever that person brings their fruit salad, I'm like built up. And whenever that person decorates the room, it just always looks good. So these are like the ways that we serve, the way that we teach, the way that we, they're just, God has wired people in a unique way that as they're walking by the Spirit of God and drawing grace from Christ, People are, they're built up in their faith. They're built up in their faith. So what is the purpose of all these? Because this is not a sermon on spiritual gifts. What is the purpose of spiritual gifts? And I think this is an important question that we should all ask. Most people get hung up on the names and the labels and the definitions of spiritual gifts. Satan, I think, tries to get us in that line of thinking so that we can get all confused and jumbled up and jealous and fighting. And we, and we don't stop and ask the real question, what is the purpose of the spiritual gifts? Why has God wired me this way? Why, and, and so um, we can see here in first, as talking about spiritual gifts in 1 Corinthians, Paul says uh, in verse 14.12, uh, he says, is that 14.12? <clears throat> he says, so... Also, since you are zealous for spiritual gifts, seek to abound for the edification of the church. What's the point? So that when you do that thing that you love doing, the church is built up. So when you do that thing that God has gifted you to do, the church is edified. Look at verse 26. 
He says, what is the outcome then, brethren, that when you assemble, each one has a psalm, has a teaching, has a revelation, has a tongue, has an interpretation. Let all things be done for edification. And that's the whole point. Edification, exhortation, consolation. Edification, you know what it means? It actually means to build, to erect a building, to restore. Maybe there's some people in our church right now where their faith has been damaged. Who knows? Why? And to go to, go to them and say, Lord, you know, like, help me encourage them in such a way that their faith will be restored It'll be repaired. To edify someone is to promote growth in Christian wisdom, affection, grace, virtue, holiness, blessedness. To establish means to make stable. Remember my airplane. I'm, I'm ratcheting that wing down so that it's, it's connected to its anchor. It's stable. Or like bolting, you know, a house onto its foundation. It's stable. It means to make stable, to place firmly, to confirm in, one mind, in one's mind. And so Paul would say, I want to go and I want to meet with you and I want to talk with you so that you would be established, confirmed, anchored, settled in your heart, steadfast on the gospel of Jesus Christ, established in your faith. You, are you wrestling with your faith? Is your faith, is there like doubt? Are you struggling? Is, you know, is it, you go to science class and then you come back and you're like, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. And you're questioning. Some wise people should come into your life and speak truth into you and establish you in your faith. Exhorted. I don't like this one. Exhorted, I always think I'm in trouble. Uh, exhorted means to call someone. Hey, you, come on, come here. Ah, we got we to gotta talk about this. Exhorted means to call somebody to your side or text them. Hey, we need to meet up for coffee. Um, call them to your side and instruct them, admonish them, beg, entreat, strengthen, console, or console, comfort as to their faith. How are you and the Lord doing? How is Satan tripping you up? You know, what are you wrestling with? What are you struggling with? Where do you want to be in your relationship with the Lord? How can I pray for you and encourage you to get there? Um, it, being encouraged means to actually stand with someone and mutually encourage, comfort, strengthen, console, uh, exhort in the faith. So what we see here is that God has given us gifts, and the gifts aren't for ourselves, but the gifts are for us to encourage, establish edify, exhort, console other people in their faith. I was driving back, uh, driving, a while, uh, driving a bunch of teenagers a while ago, and I'm, they're having a spiritual conversation in the back of my car, so I'm driving, I'm listening. And uh, uh, I hear one girl say, they're talking about spiritual gifts, and one girl says, I think my spiritual gift is worship. Well, because I just love, I just love worshiping God. I just love worshiping God. So my spiritual gift must be worship. And I was like, cool. And I'm just thinking this. I'm like, it's great. I, I love that you love worshiping God. I'm thinking this. We all should love worshiping God. Is worshiping God a spiritual gift? Or is she? And I was like, I don't know. Leading people, like worship is a contagious thing. If you're so filled with praise and thanks towards God that you're expressing that to, to, towards people and it's building them up in that that that. that, that that praise and thanks is contagious. You can be gifted in, in leading and playing and singing and music if that's what worship is. But I think worship is more than just music. It's all that we are responding to, all that he is. And she was thinking this, that her spiritual gift was just for her. 
in her private time. And that's not right. That's not right at all. Um, God has given us, she was getting hung up on this, the label worship and forgetting that worship actually is, or spiritual gifts are not actually for us, but they're for everybody else. Our gifts are not for us. Our gifts are for others, and others' gifts are for me. In fact, if, for those of us who come to church, if you come to church with the goal of building other people up in their faith, those same people are the ones that leave most encouraged. The people that come to church and they're like, Lord, who can I bless today? Who can I serve today? Who can I teach? Who can I have a conversation with? When you come to church with this mindset, I'm going to go, I'm going to be with the saints. Who can I bless? Who can I serve? Who can I encourage? Those people, somehow that attitude reflects back on you. They are the ones that that leave filled up, blessed, and encouraged. And if there's a, because I was having this conversation with this guy. Okay, sidetrack, bunny trail. I'm driving down the road. This is like three days ago. Well, Thursday, driving down the road with a guy, young man in his 20s, family, ministry. And he's like, you know what, Andy, church is just like, it just, I don't dig it. And there's so many people, like 60% of Americans are done with church. Christians, they're like, they're struggling with big church. And I was like, oh, that's really interesting. And he's like wrestling with church. I was like, why do you think that is? And he's like, well, because when I meet with somebody one-on-one for coffee, or if I have a small group of people over and, uh, and I'm talking with them, and they're encouraged, and they're talking with me, and I'm encouraged. We just get so much more out of that, and there's not a lot of that conversation going at church. I said, well, maybe you think that 60% of Americans are selfish, self-centered people, and that when they come to church on Sunday, they come and they sit here. They come and sit and they said, what do you have for me? Uh, Robbie didn't play my favorite song. And, and Jason didn't preach from my favorite passage, and they come in late, and they leave early, and they don't, they're not asking the Lord how they can bless other people. It's like, oh, maybe 60% of Americans are not actually coming to church thinking, God, how can I bless others? And when you're coming into church with that kind of an attitude, guess what? You're going to leave not blessed, not fed, not encouraged. The encouragers will be encouraged. Those who teach are going to be taught. Those who bless are going to be blessed. Those who serve are going to be served. There's this principle kind of woven in there. And my heart is that we become a church that loves like drawing grace from God and saying, God, how can I bless and how can I minister others and build others up in their faith? You're going, about to go to Fred Meyer. You can just say, Lord, I'm going to Fred Meyer and I know 100% I'm going to see somebody in Fred Meyer that I know. Lord, fill me with your grace so that when I can talk with them, no matter where they're at, good, bad, that when our conversation is done, they can be encouraged, exhorted, and built up in their faith. And I guarantee you, it's going to happen. If you're praying that prayer, it's going to happen. If you're about to meet somebody for coffee or tea down at Vagabond Blues, you just, you just pray, Lord, I'm about to sit down with so-and-so. They're going through this or they're going through that. Lord, I just pray that you'd fill me with your grace so that I don't know how you can work your work in me and through me so that their faith can be built up, so they can be encouraged, so they can be strengthened and established in their faith. That's the heart. That's the attitude that I think Paul is trying to get this church to realize. It's not about these super saints doing the work of the Lord. It's about you and I drawing grace from God day by day, even in our own homes, even in our own schools, no matter where we're at, at the store, at Vagabond Blues, and just saying, Lord, use me in the, in the way that you've wired me so uniquely. I don't know how. 
to minister to people and encourage them and build them up in their faith. Here's a clue. Here's a clue to how God has wired you. There's a, you could spend a lot of time on this, but how do I know what my spiritual gift is? And this is just a quick little clue. What are some things that you really enjoy doing that others are blessed when you do it? Start with that. Start with that. What are the things that you just like you're an expert at, that you're really good at? Is it baking? Is it working with kids? Is it working with cars? Are you a musical person? Do you love talking? Do you love reading? And just be like, Lord, you know, how, and just ask God, how have you wired me? What are the things that you've given me that I really like to do? And when I do them, people seem to be blessed and encouraged. And then when you do that, you just draw grace from God. Say, God, fill me with your grace so that in my working, in my serving, in my talking, in my teaching, people can be edified and built up. Everyone who confesses Jesus has the Spirit. God has uniquely wired everyone in such a way that as the Spirit of God works to them, they bless and encourage people. The work that we are to do, that we're admonished to do, that we are admonished to abound in the work of the Lord is encouraging each other and building each other up in our faith. How have I built people up in their faith? How can we build people up in our faith? That's the question that we should be asking. Am I encouraging my mom and dad? Am I encouraging my son and my daughter? I'm saying, Lord, you know, use me to build people up in their faith. Let's pray. God, thank you so much. Thank you so much that you've, um, thank you so much for the gospel of Jesus Christ, that you loved us so much that you died and rose again so we could have peace with you and hope of life everlasting. Thank you for the forgiveness of sins. Thank you that you have created us and fashioned us so uniquely to be workers and do the work of the Lord, not us doing it, but us relying on you, your spirit, in us and through us to accomplish your purposes in the lives of others. And I pray that we would be a church that would just long to bless others and build each other up in their faith. We need your help in that. And we pray all of this for your name's sake, in your name and for your name. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Enjoy your day.